is my Sarah's birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday. She turned, I mean, she is double digits. She turns 10 today, literally today. So when you see her, well, she's hiding, well, she's like, I can't believe Dad's talking about me. I'm really embarrassed. But yes, when you see her, give her lots of money for gifts, because I know you didn't come prepared with gifts, right? Is that okay, Sarah? Can they give you money? She's like, whatever, Dad, stop talking about me. So anyway, today's her birthday, we, and uh, we are celebrating her birthday. We love her very much. So, all right. Well, let's dive in this morning. We, uh, last week we talked about, now here's the thing, whether you know it or not, and I haven't really been necessarily using, the lang- necessarily using the language, but, you know, we said back in January that we were focusing the entire year on two things, this going towards, going towards our real life in Christ, right? Being who God has called us to be. And then doing what God's called us to do. So don't, don't forget that language, okay? You want to know who vintage is? Well, vintage and, and like what you can expect from us, okay? What you can expect from us is to help lead you to your real life. Your real life found in Christ. If, you, if that's, you're like, what does that really mean? Just go back and listen to all of January on the podcast and expect to be amazed. No, it's a great time. I mean, God just really spoke to me, spoke to others who came to me and said, Steve, this is amazing stuff, right? And I'm like, I know because God's doing this, this work in me too at the same time, right? And so leading you to your real life is simply being who God's called you to be. And then doing what God's called you to do. Because how many of you know it's not enough just to be, you have to do, right? It's all about being and it's all about doing. It's this beautiful relationship of that. In fact, I always say this, and A.J. Tuzzer backs me up on this. He says, he says sometimes you've got to stop praying for revival and be obedient to God called you to do while you're praying. And so don't come back to prayer until you've been obedient to what he calls you to do, Right? And so he said, this nature of being, praying, believing, crying out, being shaped, always leads us to a doing. It finds its heart in Genesis chapter 12. Basically, he comes and says, I'm going to bless you. And then he says, to be a blessing. And that's just the nature, the economy of the kingdom. The economy of the kingdom is, God moves in me so that he can then move through me. And so then we have to live every day of our lives then in this beautiful this relationship and economy of the kingdom of saying, yes, God, I get to receive from you. God, you, you're pouring out blessing in my life. God, this is so good. I receive and I receive and I receive. And now, God, can I just give it all away? And that's the economy of the kingdom. Everything that I give, I'll never forget Tammy Hutchins to do. Our team is visiting in India. She had been praying and asking God. If you know anything about Tammy, she doesn't ask anyone for anything. She just asks God, and God then moves through other people. It's just what she's been convicted by in her life, and she's lived by it. She's hardly ever asked for anything, and God just provides and does miracles and amazing things, right? But I'll never forget when I was there in '99. She was sitting there, and she had, she said, "I've been praying." She like, I'm like, I said, uh, I said, I, I, heard, I thought, thought somebody gave you a computer. She said, "Well, you know, I prayed for six months that God would give me a computer, and the day He gave me my gave me a computer, this other person over here had greater need than I did." Said, "I've been asking God for a computer, and I realized God had given me that computer to give to them." And I was like. Well, what happened? She's like, oh, God gave me another one the next day. Even better, right? And I was like, that's the, that's the economy of the kingdom, isn't it? Living in this place that nothing belongs to me. And that God's then leading me to this real life, right? This real life of, of being who God's created me to be. Not in a selfish sense, but God, I just can't wait for you to bless me with the power of your love and the fullness of your spirit, right? So that I can take all of the fullness of Jesus and give it to those who have nothing, being who God's created me to be, to do what God's called me to do. And I can't, if I'm not doing that, then I'm living less than my real life. And God's not okay with that. And so the whole conversation we've been having, even this, this season of Lent, has been about the cross. And about the cross, we said last week, and we, we celebrated the Lord's Supper, right? And he said, I want you to re- you do this in remembrance of the cross and what happened to the cross. He said, well, it was the last two weeks before that. It was the work of reconciliation. We, we made ourselves enemies to God, with God, 
we're enemies of God, not he's not our enemy. We are an enemy of his. Like, like we've, we've made ourselves an enemy because of our sin. But he reconciled, meaning he said, I look down and see that we're enemies, that you're living your life opposed to me and living in sin, which is just living in disobedience, living according to, uh, to things that are not, a, not, a, not according to his will. We're opposed to his will for our lives. How many of you know that fear, hear, hear this, fear, fear of failure, and fear of our children's future is sin. How many of you know that worry, worry is sin. Faithlessness is sin. All of these things, right? I'm simply saying these are things that are opposed to God's will. And I'm not saying these to beat you. Like you, you heard my voice was intentionally calm and sedate in saying that. I don't want you to feel some condemnation and wait. I want you to hear, though, that each of us, we have this tendency to do things that are opposed to God's will that keep us from our real life. And God is not as much angry. He's not angry with us. He's hurting for us. Because we've allowed fear and anxiety to, to define our lives. He's like, I'm not okay with that. That's not your real life. That's sin. It's opposed to my will. Listen, we're, you know, Randall was saying this morning, he's like, make sure that you're able to help people understand what their sin is. Because when most people talk about sin in church, they think pornography and cheating on their wives or spouses, right? Those are the big ones. But we each have these, this tendency, this performance. Do you know that performance, like trying to perform to earn something, is sin? Why? Because that's not what God wants. He doesn't want you to feel like you have to perform for him every day and to prove again your love. You can't earn anything. Performance is sin. It's opposed to his will. It breaks his heart that you think you have to live in that. It's opposed to his will because it's opposed to, it's not your real life. And so we've been talking about this nature of reconciliation, nature of redemption, right? Redemption is Jesus looking down. He says, I, I see, that, I see that, that, that you are living your lives opposed to me. I, I see this redemption that you are, you are living in a state of slavery to the power of sin, the power of death. I see you living in that. I'm going to purchase you from that. And I'm going to set you free. I've given you freedom. And so our remembrance, the Lord's Supper that I encourage you to celebrate today during community, during, during ministry time, come and celebrate the work of reconciliation, the work of redemption, of conquering the power of sin in your life. We celebrate this today. Which leads us to the, and that's the nature of the cross. All these pieces about the cross, whether you know it or not, they've been helping lead you to your real life. Being who God created you to be, reconciled and redeemed in everyday reliving in the remembrance of the work of God. And so when I sit down at every meal and I close my eyes, listen, stop blessing your food as if your food's going to kill you if you eat it. God bless my food to the nourishment of my body. What does that even mean? That's not biblical. You sit down and you give thanks as you... And what are you thanking Him for? You're not thanking Him for the food, necessarily, although you can. You're thanking Him that your food represents His, his, his body and the drink you're drinking represents His blood. So when you pray over your meal, it's not to bless it so it, will, it won't kill you. And yes, you are giving thanks for having it, but ultimately it's an act of remembrance for the work that he did of redemption and of reconciliation because he wants you at every meal to remember the power of the cross in your life. Can I get an amen? I never asked for that. Thank you. Because this is not about me, it's about Jesus. I'm not saying amen. To say amen for the word that I give. Don't ever say amen to encourage me. 
say amen because of an encouragement saying, amen, Jesus. So when you say amen to the church, don't think you're talking to the pastor. You're talking to Jesus. Can Jesus get an amen? All right. Let's start. So, remembrance. Your real life. This is what God has destined for you. It's what he's calling you to. Which leads us then again to the, this real life, the power of the cross. That's why we're celebrating that on, for six hours on Good Friday with Vertical Life Church, a celebration of the cross. So all of a sudden it comes alive inside of you. And this morning, we want to now talk about the, the cross as it relates to the power of forgiveness and the nature of God's conquering of sin. So take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 14, Mark 14, starting in verse 26. If you don't have your Bibles, you can read along on the screen behind me. It says this, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now just stop real quick, leave that verse up there. Now just get a picture. They've just we're moving from last week's message into this week, okay? They literally have just celebrated the Lord's Supper. It was the Passover feast, right? This is an exciting moment. Scripture tells us that Jesus was, was excited to celebrate the Passover with his disciples because he was implementing something new. He was, he was starting this act of remembrance. He was changing the Passover feast. In the third part, it's the cup of redemption where they usually they, 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 they pour out the, the wine representing the, the blood of the lamb at the Exodus, right? And the, and the body that, that was broken, the lamb that was broken at the Passover in the Exodus. And he comes and says, by the way, I'm changing everything our entire culture has known and the third cup of redemption, it's no longer the lamb of the Exodus. It's my body and my blood. And they went, oh, something's happening. What's he doing? It's beginning. This is the moment. The Messiah is about to release the power of his vengeance on this unruly heathen Roman people. We're about to become gods in a sense, right? Little G, we know who he is, right? We're about to become these men of power and influence in Jerusalem. It's about to happen. It's going down. And they're all of a sudden, we pick it up. They were, so they had sung a hymn. They're like, this is the moment, right? This is the moment they had sung a hymn, verse 26. And they got to begin to go down towards the Mount of Olives, towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And then Jesus throws in a conversation bomb. Have you ever been somewhere where someone throws out a conversation bomb? Like you're sitting there talking and all of a sudden, like I, was, I, I just said this one funny story. I think I told it before. It was so great. We're in this great prayer meeting and then my, when I was in college. And God's doing neat things in our midst. And all of a sudden, my buddy, this is like a prayer bomb. My buddy, he's like practicing the prophetic. And so he like looks at this girl and goes, Elizabeth, the Lord's telling me right now I'm going to marry you. And she goes, ah, like that, right? And we never saw her again, right? That's called a prayer bomb. We had these conversation bombs. He will throw out these weird things. And you're like, uh, it's like a, one of those, like, right? It's like kind of like the herky jerk. Like, oh my gosh, what are you talking, what's going on here, right? You ever had one of those? And so Jesus throws out a conversation bomb right here in the moment. He's in the verse 27. Just randomly, you will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. They had just celebrated Passover. They had just had this moment. They had just changed everything. This is the breakthrough moment, right? They have to have a... They're, they're worshiping. Amazing grace. They haven't even... The words of the song not even there yet, right? But they're singing something along those lines. They know all the words. They're singing them together. This is a time of worship, a time of celebration. And then Jesus says, you're all going to fall away and scatter like sheep. What? Conversation bomb. Way to go, Jesus, right? So it comes along. Verse 29. Peter, Peter being Peter, he goes, he declares, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, even yes, tonight, 
before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the exact same thing, right? You see this conversation. You can feel the tension. You can recognize what Jesus is thinking. Like, it's not fair because you know the future, right? You've already read up to that point. But they're sitting there in the moment, yourself in the moment going, what? He's saying we're going to fall away. And recognizing it says fall away, he's not, he's not meaning fall away from the faith. All he's talking about in the moment is that they will lose their courage. And in losing their courage, they will run away from him, right? They will not stand up and they will not stay by his side, right? And so in this moment, Peter says, says, even if I have to die with you, I will never fall away. I will never lose courage. I will always stay with you. I will never disown you, right? Peter's passionate. And in his, and in the, 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 the conviction of his core, the core conviction, of his heart and his mind, what he's feeling in the moment, he says, I will not. I will not sin. I will stay true this time. I will, I will not disown you. But we know that in later, well, Jesus kind of lifts us behind the curtain further down in verse 38. He's talking about them praying with him, but he says this, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Right? Verse 38, the spirit. So in the moment, Jesus kind of lets kind of lets Peter let, lets us behind the scenes what's going on in the heart of Peter and all the other disciples. The spirit is willing, right? The spirit is willing represents the these, the spirit being willing, rep, willing represents the noble desires of Peter's will It represents his good intentions. Right. We are, we are so often, we have so many good intentions behind what we say and behind what, what we do, right? It's that part of him which, which, was birth, which birthed his conviction. That yes, I will never, I will die for Jesus, I will never betray him, right? But then, he, then Jesus immediately contrasts the statement in verse 38 and says, Well, the, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh, flesh is weak. Flesh is weak, right? The flesh refers to the these weaker aspects of the nature of humankind that are subject to temptation. Have you ever experienced that in your life, right? The spirit being very willing, your, your good intentions, this part of you that says, I will never, or I will not, or whatever it may be. And then you find yourself doing that thing, right? We find this in Jesus' language here, describing Peter, describing, honestly, the human condition of the spirit being willing with these good intentions, these noble desires, but the, this, the flesh being weak, this part of us that's that's prone to temptation, prone to, to succumb to the, to the work of, of our flesh, the work of the enemy, the temptation in our lives, right? Peter displays this, and we see Peter saying, ah, I will never die. And then just a few verses later, literally in the same chapter, he's running away from a couple of girls. Have you ever noticed, and I, and I say this, just put yourself in... In the, in the Jewish culture here that looked down on women and then it's two serpent girls on top of that who are like, we know you. You were with him. I was not with him. And I love it. The third thing is he swears. He swears that he did not. I mean, he's cussing. He's dropping the F-bomb, y'all. He's like, oh, whatever. I didn't do that. No, no. I'm not going to use it. Don't worry. He's dropping the man. He's like, no way. And all of a sudden, he goes. And it says he wept. In, in, in verse, 70, verse 72, it says immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. How many of us have felt like Peter? How many of us with, in our spirits have these noble desires, good intentions, but when the moment of testing and trial comes, we find ourselves 
wrestling and struggling and succumbing and stumbling and falling, right? And how many of us, like Peter, maybe we don't weep, but how many of us have the same sense of sorrow, the same sense of brokenness, this guilt, this frustration? We feel dirty. We feel embarrassed. We feel whatever the words may be. We feel that in the moment, right? We feel this this tension and, and we feel this level of guilt. And I would say we all know that guilt on one level is a good thing, isn't it? Guilt is a wonderful gift from God, right? Because it's what it's it's guilt is the thing that we feel after we've fallen into sin or we we give into sin and guilt is the knowledge of our wrongdoing and the sorrow that comes with it. Guilt is a gift from God because without guilt, then we would not know we have sinned. And so guilt is a beautiful gift to us, to awaken us to the things in our life that we're doing that are opposed to God's will. It's a good thing, right? But guilt has one purpose. Hear this. Guilt only has one purpose, to awaken us to our need to turn back to Jesus. That's what guilt does. It awakens us to our sin and our need to turn back, which is the word we use for repent. I feel my guilt, so I repent. I turn back from looking at my sin and looking at my anger, looking at my whatever it may, my worry, my fear, whatever it may be, and doing an about face and doing what? Looking at Jesus. So we turn back to Jesus, right? And we are not meant to live in guilt, we're not, lit, we're not meant to live in this perpetual state of feeling condemnation, of feeling guilt continually. Guilt has one purpose, for to awaken in us our wrongdoing, so that, and, so, and it births sorrow, I'm sorry, God, I turn back and look to you. So without going too deep into it this morning, let's make something very clear, each of us, Without giving our lives, let's hear this, everyone hear this. If you are are a Christian, you're wondering if you're a Christian, or you know very, very clearly and with great conviction you're not a Christian. I would say this this morning, the biblical conviction, what Scripture teaches us is that each of us, without giving our lives over to the leadership, the direction, and to the lordship or to the control of Jesus, that we are living lives where the best we can hope for is this tension of good intentions Yet they're giving in to the weakness of our flesh. Apart from living in relationship with him, if we are separated from him, the best we can hope for is this tension of, of good intentions, but weak flesh. That's the only expectation we can have. That's the only thing we can expect to live in and experience in our lives, right? You are subjected to this continual tug of war between good intentions and failure. Apart from Jesus, that's your only hope. But there is good news. There is good news. For those of us who are Christians, if you're wondering if you're Christians or you're not a Christian, there is good news. And that good news finds its origin in one place. It's the very thing we've been talking about and we're moving towards, the cross of Jesus. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 23 to verse 25, When they, past tense, hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted or completely trusted himself to the judge, to him who judges justly. He said, God, Father, I submit myself to you. And then Peter goes on and says this. So he did this. He bore, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Just press pause. He basically said, all right, I'll take all the sin, every sin you commit, past, you know this, past, present, and future. I will take all of that guilt, all of that condemnation, all of that, and I'm going to, I'm going to take all of these sin. Remember we talked about the judge. You've all been sentenced to death. And he said, unless you, 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 there's no hope for you. You're sentenced to death. But don't worry. I will take all of your sentences to death, and I will put them on me, and I now will die your death, and in doing so, you will now be, re- you'll now be released. 
from that sentence, those who have committed the leadership, the control, and the lordship of Jesus. So he says, he himself took all of our sentences of sin and of judgment and death in his body on the cross so that we might die to the power of sin, might die to sins and to live in right standing with him. We live in righteousness. And he goes on to something very interesting. By his wounds, you have been healed. I want you to, I'm just going to do a little aside real quick. Hear this. So often when we, we use the verse, by his stripes we are healed, we're, only, we're thinking about praying for healing for someone. Please never take the scripture out of context. Don't just go, well, by his stripes you're healed. No, what he's, by his stripes you were healed, strictly is speaking about the cross of Jesus. And so when you are praying for someone for healing, it's okay to use that verse. But make sure you're keeping in mind that, 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 that we're talking about the cross of Christ canceled the power of sickness. When you are praying for healing, you're thinking about the cross. When you're praying for restoration, for a working of a miracle, you're only and always thinking about the cross. You're looking to the cross of Jesus. You're looking to His power exerted there. And you're praying, Jesus, you died to conquer the power of sin and the power of sickness and the power of death. And so every prayer of healing is focused one place on the cross and the resurrection. And so we come in this moment with this beauty of saying, by his, stri- by his wounds, by his stripes, you have been healed. For when you were like sheep going astray, for, me, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do you see how he, you were like sheep going astray? Remember, Jesus says, you will be scattered. You'll be scattered. But you will return to your overseer, to your Lord, to your master, to the one who's in charge. You will return to him. Now, having conquered the power of sin. See, there is power in the cross for us to to no longer live under the tension of a tug of war. To to live with this. And we live in this place now that continual growth into the image of Jesus. You see, the, the destiny for those of us who are believers, who have given our life to Christ. He is now Lord of our life. Is that our destiny is no, listen, our destiny is not. We are not stuck in a continual tug of war. But we are now given the cross and the resurrection and the power of Jesus to now grow into continually every day into the image of Jesus. So what I'm saying is this. When you give your life to Jesus, he canceled the power of sin and no longer has authority in your life. And he now says, now your destiny is not to live in a tug of war, but to live and to grow into the image of Jesus. That scripture, does it define your life? Does it? You have to wrestle with this sometimes, right? There is power in the cross. Yet so many of us, we find ourselves still struggling. Therefore, here's where I want us to to land this morning. I want you to hear this very clearly. Sin does not have authority over you anymore. But it does have influence, doesn't it? This this may not sound like a big deal, but this is huge. Like if you haven't heard heard anything else I'll say this morning, hear this. Sin no longer has authority in your life. Sin does have influence, right? Right? Sin has influence. It can it cannot tell you what to do, to do, nor does it have the power nor does it have power over you, but it can be very loud and bossy. Right? It can be very loud, it can be very bossy. It still knows how to prey on your desires. Does that a prey on your passions? Does that a prey on your weaknesses? Does that a prey on your temptations? But it is, listen, it is no longer, it is no longer stronger than the spirit, little less. Because your human spirit is no longer coming against it, but instead it is the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you coming against it. Listen, we talked earlier about the spirit of a human being. We're talking little less, the human spirit. We all have a human spirit, right? We all have a human spirit, and it's, and it's, and it's created for the Holy Spirit to live in. 
And so when you give it to Jesus, the little human spirit now all of a sudden is overcome by the Holy Spirit, big S, right? The big S of the Holy Spirit now comes and lives inside of you. And so we can say now... The, the, the Spirit of God is willing and able, but the flesh for the continual time of your life will always be weak. Yes, your flesh will always be weak. Your flesh will always want to succumb. It will always, it'll always hear the voice of, of temptation, all this stuff preying on us, and your flesh is always going to be, be weak. But you now have the human, the human spirit overpowered by the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And so, sin no longer has authority. At best, all it has is influence. And as I continually, every day, live in the presence of Jesus, submit myself to Him as a living sacrifice every day, I live in obedience to Him to the best of my ability, and I follow Him and follow the Spirit to the best of my ability, in that moment that I'm continually growing in sin, begins to lose its, 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 its influence even in my life. We have the beauty of the Spirit of God living inside of us. And our flesh, our flesh is weak. I'll tell you the story. It's a story about my mom. My mom smoked for a good portion of her life like a lot of people did back in the day, right? Just didn't know any better. And, and when I, and I came along, she was still smoking. Never forget, when I was about nine years old, she decided to, to quit smoking. God had really convicted her of this. And so in the moment she, she, she quit smoking, it was a Powerful thing, right? About ten years later, I'm I'm talking to her, and I'm I say, Mom, I said, I said, do you do you ever miss smoking? She said, honestly, I said honestly. She's like every day, <laughs> every day. So tell me about that. She's like every morning I wake up. She goes, I just really got into this habit of every morning with my coffee I smoke a cigarette and just. Just felt natural. It felt good. And there are mornings I wake up and I'm like, oh, it'd be so good to have the cigarette. But every day God empowers me to withstand that urge. I do not smoke anymore. And I'm so thankful that I don't. In my flesh, I want to, but I really in my spirit don't want to. And she said, and when I first stopped, it was so hard. But in time, it's become easier and easier and easier. See, that's the nature of what happens when the Spirit of God comes and moves into our lives. He gives us this power at the beginning, right? We, 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 we had this tension, we're like, oh, and we live in the struggle, and some of us still live in that struggle, but the idea is, is I live in obedience, walking with Jesus in time, the power of the enemy begins to lose its power, the, 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 the influence and the urges begin to lose their power as I live in obedience, walking in the Spirit, because as I look at Him and keep my gaze upon Him, all I do is get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Each of us who now live under the authority of the Father, who loves us so powerfully and so completely, are now living in the truth of the cross. And listen, be very careful to not buy into the lie of your experience and your feeling. Because when I feel afraid, it's just a mirage. When I feel worry, why should I? Because Jesus is Lord. Do you see the feelings that can betray you? The feelings attached to your flesh? The truth of Scripture is that He has conquered the power of sin, has given us authority over it because why? Big S has made His residence in my heart and I, now, I no longer have a weak spirit because the Holy Spirit is living inside of me and is empowering me. And so I have to begin simply this place saying, God, this is my prayer. God, I still feel like this, but I know theologically and biblically that it's not true. Help this to become my felt reality. Do you see that? I'm just being really compassionate here because I'm not going to lie. I still feel the struggle. Let's, if you feel the struggle, I want you to confidently raise your hand this morning. 
seriously, I want you to raise your hand. If you still feel in moments the struggle, most everyone in the room raises their hand. We all are in this place. Sin can still influence us. It can prey upon our areas of weakness, insecurities, fears, and pain. It feels like the Spirit is willing, right? It's still like the Spirit is willing, but that we are too weak to stand, but it's not true. So this morning, when we find ourselves in this place like Peter, when we've, when we've sinned, when we have gone against what we've committed, we would never do again. When we live in that place of, of tension, we live in that place of, uh, of, of guilt, right? We live in that place of guilt. We have two options in that moment. We either continue to run away. Listen, we either continue to run away or we deal with it. Isn't it easier just to run away and pretend like it's not real, not there, not existing? Isn't it easier to not look in the eyes of Jesus and realize we just crucified him again? Isn't it easier to just run away and not look at him? When you sin against someone, isn't it just easier to pretend like they don't exist and stop talking to them? What do we do when we stumble? What do we do in those moments? Because what do we do? Number one is this. If we live in this place of stumbling, we're living in this place of struggling, first thing is this. Always to remember that sin is not okay. Right? Sin is not okay. That's a pretty big deal to say. Sin is not okay. I want you all to, to recognize that sin is not okay. Right? Because here's the thing. You are going to sin after becoming a Christian. You're going to feel the tension, have a moment of weakness. You're going to fall, and you're, not, and you're going to fall into sin. You're going to go, oh my gosh, this, but see, said the Spirit is stronger. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Listen, I, you, don't, maybe you don't have to sin, but you're going to. You live in a fallen world. There are still moments you're going to fear, be worried, be anxious. Things You're going to look at something and do something and say something. You're going to go, oh, you're going to, listen, you're going to sin in ignorance. You're going to hurt someone and not even know it. And then once you become awakened to it, you're held accountable to that. There's willful disobedience and then there's sin of ignorance. There's two. We're going to do those. That's a John Wesleyism. We're going to do that, right? And in that moment, the idea is simple. When you sin, you acknowledge, yes. Yes, I still live in a fallen world. Yes, I still feel the influence of my of my flesh, but and I feel but I feel the conviction of it being wrong. I feel I experience the guilt of it. And what do I do? I then apologize to God and I apologize to the one that I've sinned against. And I begin moving towards Jesus again. It's called repentance. I have the moment like, oh, I sinned again. I'm not going to beat myself up for it. Right. I'm not going to go, oh, my gosh. Ah, ah, right. Oh, God. Oh, I feel the sorrow. I feel the guilt. I feel it. Got the conviction. I am sorry. That I sinned against you, Bruce. I'm sorry that I picked against Kentucky. I'm sorry for sinning. Now I'm going to turn and start wearing my blue Kentucky shirt again in honor of you. I return away from that. And God, I begin to walk towards you again. Listen, when we come to that place of recognizing guilt, asking forgiveness, it doesn't condone our sin, doesn't make it okay. It simply keeps us from wallowing in it. Jesus says, I forgive you. Always return to your first love. That's repentance. I don't just turn and start walking back from a, from a God who's distant. No, I turn and begin running back into his arms of love. That's why we turn from sin. Second thing, hear this. Sin is not that big of a deal. Does that offend you? Are you feeling inflamed? I just told you, sin's not that big of a deal. Think about that one. Where's he going to go? Oh my gosh, he's becoming a heretic. I talk to so many people all day long who talk about sin as if it's a massive, huge, immovable object and act like it is a rock that is too big for God to move. Making it such a big deal that it's like, ah, there's no hope for me, right? And the things that we make out to be bigger than they are always end up taking on a life of their own. 
We make a big deal about us, about sin. We make it this immovable rock that's true, that's too big for us to move. But sin is not too big of a rock for God to move. Therefore, it's not that big of a deal. Why? Because it's not a bigger deal than Jesus. And some people make sin in their lives more of a bigger deal than Jesus. And I would say this, stop making much of sin and start making much of Jesus. Because when you make much of Jesus, when you make him bigger than sin, when you make him bigger than that rock in your life, when you make the kingdom of God bigger than the kingdom of the castle of sin that you you think is planted in your life, when you make much of Jesus and make him bigger, then all of a sudden you recognize, oh, sin's not that big. Stop making such a big deal of sin. Listen, I I love my Baptist upbringing, but they spoke about sin more than they talked about Jesus in the churches that I grew up in. Start talking more about Jesus and people will stop talking about sin. Start making much of Jesus and people will stop making much of sin in their life. Start thinking about how big Jesus is and it will make sin smaller across the board in action and in thought. Make much of Jesus. Make him bigger. Believe in the power of the cross of Christ as being bigger and stronger than the power of sin. Third thing, therefore, don't believe the lies. Romans 8, chapter chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guilt is a gift. Condemnation is a curse. And we cannot believe it. Condemnation lies and tells you there is no hope, that freedom is for everyone but you, that your sin is impossible to conquer, that you are in too deep into whatever your sin is to find freedom, and that you definitely will fall again and again and again and again and again. Why should I even try? That is condemnation. It's the voice of the enemy. It is a lie. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He set us free from the power of sin. He bore our sin. that We might die to sin. And now there is no condemnation. There is only hope. And there is only freedom in Christ. Believe only in the truth of Scripture. Don't believe lies. Don't think that it's too big to get out of, that your issues are too strong. Don't think that something is too big for God to move. The fourth thing we do in that moment, we've already named it, is turn to Jesus. Get the picture of the cross. You know how when you, you know how when you look, listen, I want you, I want you to do this analogy. I like it. You know how, if like when I sin against, when I sin against my kids and I look them in the eyes I can see it. It's as if I had, it's like looking into a mirror by looking at their pain, looking at their sorrow, looking at their brokenness that I've just created in my sin against them. And looking at them is as if I'm looking in a mirror. And it causes me to feel sorrow. That's why we remember the cross. Because when I look at the cross, as if I'm looking into a mirror of all of my brokenness, and all of my sin, and all of my issues, and all I see is the power of His love to set me free from it. See, the great tension for many of us is we sin against Jesus and we run from Him. We're just like Jonah, hopping a boat, trying to get away, trying to see Him. The problem is this, if I sin against Jesus... The only one who can actually grant me healing and forgiveness is the very one that I send against. And so that's why I always turn to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8 and 10. The letter, the, the letter of 1 Corinthians hurt the people of Corinth. It hurt their feelings. It says, Paul says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow, right? I looked at Paul, I looked at his words, I saw what he said, and I realized my sin. I was hurt for a moment, but now I recognize the words for the purpose of healing me, right? Because your sorrow led you to turning away from your sin, repentance. For you, but listen, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. And look at verse 10. 
write this one down. Godly sorrow brings repentance, right? Returning to your first love that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But godly, worldly sorrow, worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow, repentance, turning to him, looking him in the eyes, allowing him to forgive and heal me. And there's no there's salvation and no regrets. Do you have regrets for your sin you committed this week, last week, this month, this year, the last five years? There is no regret as you turn to Jesus in the midst of those. And as you number five, bring it into the light. Bring in the light. Allow God's light to expose your, your brokenness, the areas in need of healing, the areas of sin. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a person in right standing with God is powerful and it's effective. Confess your sins. While we're doing DNA groups, while we do accountability groups, right? So you can come and have this honesty about your sins. That's why we can we encourage you. If you sin against someone, go to them. Ask their forgiveness. Own your stuff. Man up. Woman up, right? And own your stuff. It will bring healing. And the number six is then get healing. Get healing. Listen. This is a true statement. Sin may be forgiven, but it always has consequences, doesn't it? Sin may be forgiven, but you pay for the consequences. Pay for their consequences. David sinned with Bathsheba. Solomon was born, and there was all sorts of consequences from that sin. There are consequences from sin. You're forgiven, but there are consequences. And in the midst of those things, all I'll say in that is you need healing because it hurts. It's painful. It's overwhelming. You're experiencing it. You're experiencing those consequences. It causes the sense of condemnation many times, doesn't it? And in the midst of that, healing can be had. And so I find that whether I go to inner healing here at Vintage with Rhonda Dameron and go to her class. Whether I find Libby Watson, who is a licensed counselor, and say, go and meet with her to help you process through this stuff. Whether it means you just come to your ministry teams here every Sunday and have them pray. Go to your DNA groups. Go to your spouse. Go to your children and ask them to pray for you. Whatever it may be. I'll never forget my dad one time. I don't know how old I was, but I was old enough of an age of accountability. He was struggling with something. He struggled for a long time. He says, I can't tell you what it is, but Steve, would you please pray for me for God to pour out his spirit and bring healing and freedom in my life? You want to talk about a sense of ownership. Let your kids pray for you about something. There's healing to be had. Our, we feel like our spirit is willing and our flesh is weak and we live in the tension of this. But there is healing. The cross, literally, the cross changed everything. It was a power move. Jesus came, defeated the power of sin. He never, relinqu never relinquished that control. Our flesh will always be weak, but our human spirits are no longer weak because they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yes, there are moments you are going to give in to the influence of sin, but it will never be your master again unless you let it. Sin is a big deal, but it's not that big of a deal compared, compared to how big of a deal Jesus is. Never lose sight of that. Make much of him. Make much of him. This week, my, here's, my, here's the takeaway. You have to deal with this. I want you, everybody, write this down. Get a pen and a paper. Get your phone. Type it in. It's real simple. I want you to write down Psalm 51. Write down Psalm 51. Do not forget Psalm 51. Write it down. Psalm 51. Ask somebody. Psalm 51. It is the psalm of repentance of David when he sinned against Bathsheba. Do you know how bad that sin was? He not only cheated on his wife, he not only uh, uh, had adult, committed adultery with another man's wife, he had him put to death, basically murdering that man. Lots of bad stuff going on here. And he goes before God. It's a, it's a psalm of repentance. Create in me, O God, a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. 
man that is water to a thirsty soul. Psalm 51. And do this. So watch. So we're doing. I'm like this in condemnation. I know the light is over here and it's going to hurt my eyes if I look at it. But in the power of this God's Spirit, I turn and I look into His face and I see His cross and I see in the mirror the sin that I committed that put Him there. And I keep on looking. And I allow in that moment for godly sorrow to be birthed inside of me. So it will lead to repentance. So it will lead to salvation. So it will lead to zero regret. You have to let Jesus search you this week. You have to let Him find it. And I would say this, probably every single one of us in this room have someone we need to apologize to and ask forgiveness from. Who is it? Because when you do, you will find healing. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning. God, we recognize that there is power in sin. And that God, it does have influence, Lord. It is, it is strong. So, Father, we're not going to pretend like it's not. We are going to make much of Jesus this morning. And we're going to recognize the cross immediately became a symbol of you being bigger. Because the bigger thing always conquers the smaller thing. We make much of you this morning, Jesus. We acknowledge that sin is real, but we don't give it too big of a place in our lives. We acknowledge Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come this morning convict the world of sin to convict us of sin and to convict us of what it means to be in right standing with you. Holy Spirit, would you remind us of every word that Jesus spoke while he was here on earth this morning about the cross and what it means. Help us to fully remember it as we look to it this morning. Jesus, have your way in us. We pray this in your name. Amen.